0: Good morning. Today is January the 6th in the year of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The year is 2020, uh, and so we want to bring things into focus today, January 6th. Today is Epiphany, for those of you paying attention to the church liturgical calendar. Some of you listening are going to say, well, that means the 12 days of Christmas, which began on the 25th of December, is now officially over, um, which means I think it's time to take those like little reindeer ears off your car. I think that's officially what is supposed to happen today, and I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe take your Christmas tree to be recycled. Uh, that would be, yeah, that might be that might be an Epiphany Day activity. Uh, Epiphany. What is Epiphany all about? Well, Epiphany is the day upon which, uh, again, those who follow a liturgical calendar uh, today is the day. Um, that we acknowledge the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles as represented in the Magi, whom you meet in Matthew chapter 2. You really meet the Magi back in the book of Daniel. And so if you want to know um, what Epiphany is all about and this festival commemorating um, the manifestation of Christ to the Gentiles and God— being concerned not just about the salvation of the Jews, but everyone, that this rescue mission, this redemptive reality is for everyone. um, That's represented by these Gentiles coming to seek out uh, the Christ child. And so today's the day that uh, we celebrate that. Now, if you are an Orthodox Christian or you have friends in your community who are Orthodox Christians, they're actually going to be celebrating Christmas today. Today is Orthodox Christmas. And so for those of you who were looking for 12 more days of Christmas, uh, you could just simply say that in solidarity with your Orthodox Christian brothers and sisters, um, you are going to begin again celebrating Christmas today. I mean, it's always a good day to celebrate the incarnation of Jesus. So there you go. A couple of major headlines uh, here in the United States. You probably just heard at the top of the the hour, but if you did not, the United Methodist Church— Uh, is moving, well, it's following every other mainline denomination down uh, a path to division uh, over, you know, over a similar set of issues. Now, you are going to hear people describe this as, you know, that the dividing line is LGBTQ, clergy, um, and gay marriage. Let let me just say that as a person who has walked with several denominations through these kinds of divisions over the past 20 years, um, this is about biblical authority. This is about whether or not we submit ourselves to the authority of what God has revealed in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments about his design for human life, his design for human marriage, and his will for us, um, and his authority over the church of Jesus Christ and who leads it and uh, and how we live within it, versus those who want to be an authority unto themselves and want to follow um, the passions of their own inflamed desires. That is basically what this is about, and so don't be fooled into thinking that this is some kind of Political division between those who are uh, you know pro gay marriage or anti gay marriage no no, these issues are much much deeper. This is about the authority of the church and whether or not we actually submit ourselves to the authority of God's revealed word in the scriptures of the old and new testaments and if we don't um, then we've set ourselves up over the Bible and so this is really the question for those of you who are listening or united Methodist, you're going to have to vote. you are literally going to if this if this proposal goes through, you are going to vote in your congregation. Whether or not you're going to align yourself with a denomination that submits itself to the authority of the Word of God as revealed in the Bible, or a denomination that is going to um, shirk off the Bible and and follow the inflamed passions of the human heart, that, that that's really the dividing line. And so, don't be fooled into thinking it's something less than that, um, or more than that, or different than that. Okay. So the other big headline today, um, and we're going to talk about this more in the in the uh, in the days that follow today. We're not. just hitting on this today, Planned Parenthood has released its annual report. And in the year from uh, July 2018 to June 2019, so the last fiscal year, Planned Parenthood performed more abortions in America than any year on record and received more government funding, that's your tax dollars and my tax dollars, than any prior year. 345,672 abortions, 345,000 672 abortions performed by this one abortion provider in the United States called Planned Parenthood, $618.8 million from taxpayers, from U.S. taxpayers, $618.8 million taxpayer dollars received by Planned Parenthood in their, uh, in the last fiscal year upon which they're reporting, um, Total number of revenues or the total amount of their revenues, $1.6 billion. And globally, abortion was the leading cause of death in 2019. More than 42 million babies were aborted in this past year. 42 million. And there's a new bill being considered in Massachusetts that would allow abortion um, up into the very point of birth. So we are going to talk about those headlines um, later in this week. Today, we are actually going to focus on Um, on what is happening internationally. We're going to talk with Drew Griffin from Providence Magazine. He is actually on the ground in Jerusalem this morning. He's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So in just a moment, Drew Griffin from Providence Magazine, you can follow him on Twitter at DG underscore NYC or at Providence Mag. Um, He's going to be with us in just a moment. Sometimes our international connections are a little wiggy. So um, so we're just going to be patient and wait for him to join us. If you have uh, not been alert to the news over the weekend, um, following the United States action to end the life of um, an Iranian general um, Kwasam Soleimani. The the Middle East has really pretty much erupted, and and the question of whether or not, um, you know, war is in the offing is, uh, is is certainly a question that looms large. My pastor yesterday said, um, you know, we're all wondering, we're all facing the question of whether or not the country in which we live is going to, you know, go, go enter into yet another war. Um, and he reminded us that, um, if it happens or it doesn't happen, either way, God is still sovereign. And and history is still in God's hands. And we are still God's people in the midst of the places and spaces where we live. And we still bear responsibility today to function as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven in the midst of the kingdoms of this world and not be paralyzed by the news of the day, um, no matter what that news contains. And so, um, whatever happens in the minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, even years ahead, you know, I think it's a good reminder to us that God is sovereign. None of this surprises him. Um, and, and, and frankly, it's, it's all worldview related in terms of um, there are people who follow a set of ideas and ideologies that lead, to, lead them to places um, of, of bloodlust. And, and so we are a people who um, are redeemed by blood, um, by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so today in the conversations that we have with one another um, and with others, you know, let me just say that we have to be gospel people. We have to be the people of the good news. The news is full of uh, very dramatic um, fear-producing lines and themes. And in the midst of that, we are going to be a people um, who are not moved. And we're going to be a people who, who remain steadfast um, and immovable. Why? Well, because God is sovereign and God is good and God is gracious and he has an eternal plan and it's redemptive. Uh, and so let me just invite you today uh, to check your feelings. So just check your feelings. How are you feeling about things today? And you may say, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed that over these Christmas holidays, I didn't really get a holy day. I didn't really get a day that was set apart unto the Lord. Um, Or I, you know, I made some threshold commitments there at the beginning of the new year. On January the 1st, I said I was going to leave these things behind, uh, you know, behind me. And I was going to move forward into this, into these positive uh, new habits. And it's the 6th of January, and I've already, you know, recommitted my my besetting sins. I've already re-engaged in those behaviors that I intended to leave behind in 2019. This is a new day, and this we encourage you today to um, not allow your feelings to overwhelm uh, the facts of the matter, which is that Christ has come um, and he redeems. All right, Drew Griffin is now with us. He is live uh, from Jerusalem. You can find him on Twitter at DG underscore NYC or at Providence Mag. Hey, Drew, um, thanks for joining us today.
1: Hey, good morning Carmen. How
0: are you? Good morning. I am well. Um, Happy New Year, my friend. Happy Epiphany, yeah. happy Orthodox Christmas, all those good things. Um yeah, I wanna happy, ask Happy New Year to you. Too. Yeah, thank you. I wanna lead off with what does it feel like to be in, in in Jerusalem, in Israel right now?
1: Uh I mean it it's uh it's beautiful here, it feels uh it feels good, maybe slightly more tense uh, than usual and the other times that I've been here, but uh it is. Uh, people are enjoying the Christmas season and enjoying the New Year. Uh, Greek Orthodox Christmas was today. In fact, I just came from Bethlehem, uh, from Manger Square, where I kind of observed that, and uh, came back here to Jerusalem. So, uh, yeah, I feel I feel good, and the the environment seems um, seems to be pretty upbeat.
0: So, one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you was um, simply to arrive at that testimony because you know the Western news as well as I do. Um, and that is not what is being portrayed out of the Middle East right now. What is being, you know, the only scenes that we're seeing are scenes of rioting in the streets. So talk with us a little bit about what's happening in, um, in the region. Uh, we, we obviously all know that, um, you know, that, that America uh, took out Soleimani and there is reaction throughout the Middle East to that. So tell us what some of the threats in the region are this morning.
1: Sure. So yeah, um, uh, around uh, I think on New Year's Eve on the 31st, uh, pre-dawn airstrikes took out um, uh, General uh, Soleimani, who was the head of the uh, general head of the uh, Al Quds Force, which is kind of the elite uh, military um, uh, unit there in Iran. Um, subsequent uh, to that, there has been uh, several days of protests and, and funeral processions uh, throughout Iran and in Iraq. Um, he is actually being buried today um, uh, in, a, in a ceremony in Iran, and they're going to be followed by a couple of days of official state mourning. Uh, following uh, his uh, execution, uh, I guess, uh, by um, U.S. forces, uh, there have been uh, increased threats to U.S. facilities across the Middle East. Um, U.S. embassies uh, have been put on high alert. U.S. personnel has been moved out of the U.S. embassy in Baghdad. And um, here in Israel, we've noticed an increase in uh, a kind of a defensive posture. Uh, I went by the uh, prime minister's uh, residence uh, yesterday, I could see a whole bunch of cars uh, parked out front as he was meeting with his security cabinet, as uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu canceled, an early, uh, uh, canceled a meeting in Cyprus and returned early to uh, Israel uh, following the assassination of uh, Soleimani. And uh, the northern part of Israel has been closed down in the Golan Heights. Uh, People have been kind of asked not to head up there. Um, There have been uh, positioning uh, both around Gaza and up in the Golan Heights with the border of Syria and Lebanon. um, Kind of these mobile uh, iron dome anti-missile trucks have kind of been positioned into place uh, to prepare for potential um, rocket attacks from uh, the north and also out of Gaza as uh, Iranian proxy forces uh, occupy both uh, space in, in Syria and Lebanon through Hezbollah and then um, in Gaza through Hamas. So it's, uh, uh, there's an increased level of, of, of tension because it's hard to know where Iran um, could, you know, kind of possibly strike. However, uh, people here in Israel uh, are not accustomed to that level of tension. Uh, This is kind of a matter for course uh, for them, unfortunately, Uh, living in this region, oftentimes caught between um, massive uh, um, global powers as they kind of duke it out. Um, People here go about their lives and uh, and learn to live uh, with that level of stress.
0: Hey, Drew, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, um, let's talk a little bit about what President Trump has tweeted, um, if Iran or its proxies target Americans or interests, that the U.S. would retaliate by targeting cultural sites in Iran. So that's the question I'm going to ask next to Drew Griffin when we come back. Um, he's with Providence Magazine. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Drew Griffin from Providence Magazine, we are talking about the death of Qasem Soleimani, uh, what it means, what comes next, how Christians in the region are responding. Um, Drew, we have learned just in the last 24 hours that Iran has announced it does not intend to abide any longer by the res- restrictions of the JCPOA um, and to you know, pursue its nuclear ambitions with, uh, with all of its uh, energy. We've also heard from President Trump uh, through tweets that if Iran or its proxies target Americans or our interests, that the U.S. will retaliate by targeting cultural sites in Iran. Um, let's talk about cultural sites in Iran. Um, when we when we think about that language, what do you think we're talking
1: about? Uh, I think we're talking about uh, potentially uh, mosques or historic sites, sites that are non-military, um and don't right. necessarily have a, a military function. I think that's I mean, one can only assume uh, what uh, President Trump means by that. But uh, typically when you mean cultural sites, you mean uh, economic sites or you mean sites that don't have a, a proper military function.
0: And so when um, when that language is used, you know, it might it might have um, a, a provocative deterrent effect um, it's also not likely something in terms of, let's say, world heritage sites. It's not likely something that we would actually do. But um, but you know, I, the the threat of doing it um, sort of you know raises the eyebrows and um, and makes you maybe think twice about uh, about retaliation if you're Iran if you're in Iran. I mean, this is what this is the calculus. I don't know how to make.
1: Right. I think it's – I think the president is trying to maybe inartfully thread a needle to, yeah, provide a certain level of deterrence to say, you know, we're not just going to respond like, you know, typically uh, what a proportional response would be uh, where we would target just simply military targets uh, that, you know, this potentially could have, um, you know, civilian ramifications or we wouldn't necessarily be be bound by tradition of what uh, normal retaliation looks like. And I I think – there are a couple of things for us to consider and that when we're weighing responses to what the president is saying and, and the, the choices that he faces, you know, he uh, the world is a, um, a harsh place. It has harsh realities. And uh, much of the players here in the region speak with a, a certain vocabulary. It's a vocabulary of uh, strength and violence and power. There's not a lot of room always for, uh, you know, nuance. So is there. A, a benefit that the president has, President Trump, in, in using this kind of language, this kind of uh, total war uh, type of language. Uh, yeah, it probably communicates uh, his intentions and the resolve of the United States. However, um, whether or not it communicates the values that the United States uh, fights for or even uh, the international law it should abide by is another question. And that, I think, is what uh, is uh, potentially up for criticism. I think that they're is a danger um, that uh, his rhetoric could be posing in that, you know, we should be very much for the Iranian people. Uh, We should be um, uh, pro-Iranian people. We should be uh, uh, pro-Iranian culture. We should be anti-Iranian regime. And uh, so uh, when Secretary Pompeo goes out and says, you know, we support the Iranian people. We want to see them rise up and take hold of their own kind of self-determination um that's a good thing that's a very difficult however message to reconcile with what president trump is saying by basically that you know we'll attack cultural sites that matter a great deal to the iranian people so i think it would be beneficial for the united states to get on the same page and i think there's a way for uh, the us government to to communicate its resolve in a way that the Iranians know that we mean business, but also in a way that says that you know we're going to respect international law and we're going to respect the Iranian culture and, and hope and pray that uh, one day they get to experience uh, some of the freedom um, uh, that we experience.
0: So we're going to uh, certainly be praying for you and our friends who are in the Middle East. Um, just please communicate to others uh, whom you run across that you know their 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 friends in the United States are aware and we're concerned and we recognize the unique position of Israel um, in all of this. This is a, you know, a contest of ideologies, ultimately. And, uh, and you know, this would be one of those occasions when we want to um, have the gospel be the message that we are putting forth, not simply, you know, calling out what's wrong with somebody else's ideas, but actually putting forth good ideas uh, in their place. So, Drew, thank you, as always, for the ways in which you guys at Providence Magazine do that and help us at this intersection of American foreign policy and the Christian faith. We really appreciate it.
1: Sure. Thank you, Carmen.
0: Absolutely. All right, friends, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. So when we talk about uh, generations and which generation you're in, um, I want to be in the generation that belongs to Jesus, like whatever... Whatever generation you're in, if you are, um, if you're a millennial, if you are Gen X, Gen Y, if you are one of the greatest generation, there's a few of you still around and listening, and I, I, we're so grateful for the sacrifices that um, the greatest generation made. We stand on your shoulders, um, and, and particularly in terms of the faith and your faithfulness. Um, maybe you are uh, Gen Z. Maybe you're already an alpha generation person. If you're, if you're in the alpha generation, you're likely listening. To this this morning, riding on your way to school with somebody else who is listening uh, in the front seat. Maybe you're in the back seat. It's possible that you are still strapped into a uh, a little seat of some kind. For those of you who are saying, I don't even know what Alpha Generation is. Well, that is the generation uh, following Gen Z, and they are already nine years into uh, their reality. So, if you're born since 2010, you're not even in Gen Z anymore. You're already in like Alpha Gen. It's just crazy. Anyway. So um, who's writing books for AlphaGen? This is going to be my, my, my question going forward. Who's, who is writing books? Who is thinking, who is helping translate the gospel? Who is telling the story of the good news to kids who are born today in AlphaGen? I mean, you know, we're, just, yeah, anyway, so there you go. I'm sort of forward thinking this morning on those kinds of things. Hey, next up, Ruth Kramer is going to be here. She and I are going to talk about uh, the incredible threat to Christians, now living in the Middle East, um, particularly in Iran and Iraq. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what's happening in Indonesia. You may not even be aware that there has been massive flooding and landslides resulting uh, this morning. The count is up to 66 uh, lives lost. And then we've also got um, some news out of Japan. So we're talking with our Christian partners around the world today through Mission Network News uh, via Ruth Kramer. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
1: Pain is predictable. You don't have to guess. Guaranteed, it's coming. Because anytime you confront foolish thinking or you have a contest of opinions and ideas, it's painful. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Moms and dads, if you have teens or preteens, you know what I'm talking about. Anytime your kid lashes out, pain is just around the corner when wrong motives and desires are exposed, and when your teen is confronted, limited, or restricted. It's painful. Effective parenting doesn't mean you need to make everyone feel better. In fact, conflict may be the bold blinking neon sign that God's healing work has begun in your family. So when pain shows up in your home, don't run from it. Use it. Looking for more parenting wisdom? Go online to parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store.
0: To boldly go where no one has gone before. That means Ruth Kramer is back from Mission Network News. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. And Orthodox Christmas and Epiphany and all of the kinds of things that we um, celebrate on particular days of the year. It's um, this is a big day. There's a lot happening uh, all over the world.
2: You know, this is. Go ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to say, let's start in Indonesia because this is a headline that um, you know, frankly, there's not a lot of coverage of this and this really devastating landslides um, as a result of torrential rain. Tell us what you are hearing from your partners on the ground in Indonesia. Well, we spoke
2: with our partner, FMI, that works with uh, church planters and works to equip um, a network of churches, just the small churches in Indonesia. And right now what we're hearing is that the flooding is the worst in Jakarta, which is the capital city of uh, Indonesia, since 2007. So right now the death toll is around 80, but they're expecting Mm. it to rise. Um, They've had extreme torrential rains probably for about a month. Um, but really the worst of it hit on New Year's Eve, and that caused the landslides in some of the hilly areas to hit. And so now you're getting into um, the, the flooding, the people who are buried, and it's kind of moving from a rescue mission to uh, just the aftermath of trying to find people and uh, get services restored. Um, at this point, I believe it was Sunday. Uh, soldiers and health workers actually sprayed the capital city with disinfectant because they were trying to fend off waterborne diseases. Mm. Um, so, that, I mean, when you're thinking about the type of devastation that that is occurring in this area, um, waterborne diseases is like the second wave of disaster that strikes after the initial part of it. So, you're you're without any infrastructure right now, and now you've just got standing water, and anything that was on the ground is part of that standing water, which means you're going to have a lot of issues. So a lot of the international relief organizations are trying to figure out how to get where they're uh, going just to be able to get relief supplies and survival supplies to the people who have made it uh, to higher ground. Um, it is so severe, just keeping in mind, you know, what kind of things that are that are going on here. It's so severe that the Indonesian president couldn't find a place to land to see for himself just how bad things were. Um, so that's where they are right now. Our partner is saying that people in this area are kind of used to a type of um, – mobilization response because there's there's a lot of things that happen in Indonesia. Flooding is not uncommon. This is kind of unusual with the type of flooding. Um, and and they've already had to deal with uh, issues with blackouts and mudslides and blocked roads anyway because of this month of rain. Um, so it's been difficult for ministry because the church planters and the pastors can't get to their their preaching sites. So the churches that they've planted are sort of left unattended at this point. Um, the people that could use the encouragement of their, their shepherd are not going to be able to get that. Um, the recovery is going to take a long time. So our, our partner is just saying, please be praying. Um, people in in these regions that have been hardest hit with the, the flooding are um, already poor. They are also used to having to restart, uh, rebuild life uh, time and again because of the, the type of flooding that occurs and the natural disasters that occur. But this just seems like it's a little bit more than what's normal uh, in a flood prone area. It's going to take a while to recover, and uh, it may take a while for some of these pastors to be able to get back out to their churches.
0: We're talking with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You can find um the information about what we're talking about today at mnnonline.org. Just a reminder that 90% of the population of of Jakarta is Muslim. Um and so, you know, w- when we're talking about Christians in the region, when we're talking about the presence of churches in the region, we're talking about um a witness that is uh, is very significant, but um but only you know seven percent of the population in terms of Protestant Christianity, and a population of more than ten million people who live in the city of Jakarta, so um, massive numbers of people, a church that is significant but but small by comparison to uh, to the population that um, that needs to be served and so let 's just pray for a magnification of the way God might choose. To work in and through our Christian brothers and sisters <clears throat> on the ground there, um, and then you know let's uh, let's come to their aid as we can. Excuse me. Absolutely. Ruth, let's, let's pivot. Um, let's pivot to what you're hearing from your partners on the ground in the Middle East. Well, that's all
2: really ugly and crazy. Um, things that uh, have occurred are ultimately so political. It's hard to kind of extract. Uh, a story from this that isn't going to be tied into the politics. So we have to be very careful. The partners that have reached out to us and, and uh, shared some of their prayer needs are trying to be careful, trying to let us know what's going on so we can be praying on their behalf. Um, as you might be aware, uh Iran is very angry over the airstrikes that took place. Um, the funerals are taking place today. Uh, and once the the time of mourning has passed, our partners on the ground are saying, expect retaliation, and it's going to be ugly. Um, already, we're seeing the tit-for-tat um, you know, taking place between the governments. Uh, we do know that there are three countries that are involved with this now. The, the strikes may have taken place in Iraq, but now you've drawn in because of, of the targets. You've drawn in Iran, and the high tensions, and all of the allies that are, that are surrounding this. Um, right now, Iraq's parliament is moving to expel U.S. troops. Um, the situation there gets very shaky. Um, and in this kind of a situation, It seems like people who don't really understand what Christians represent or who Christians represent as followers of Christ uh, just kind of connect them with the West. So Mm -hmm. Christians in Iraq and Iran are looked at as a proxy for the West, which translates to the United States. So in situations like this, um, what you see is a higher... uh, incidents of, um, just persecution. Um, our partners at Voice of the Martyrs, our our partners with Mohabbat TV TV are basically saying, we're looking for, um, more arrests in Iran of Christians. We're going to probably see more attacks on churches in in, in Iraq. Um, and, and this is, this is going to be on a population in Iraq that has recently returned after being chased out of their, their area. Uh, by ISIS. And you also have, um, um, just kind of layering over the top of that, you've got Hezbollah involved with the situation and ISIS now looking at it, and they're they're kind of almost um, threatening a dual retaliation, which is kind of an odd situation because you're looking at ISIS being Sunni and Hezbollah being Shiite. Shiite. Um, and they don't usually come together in a common cause. But again, this is under the idea of the enemy of my enemy is my mm-hmm. friend. So now you're going to be looking at attacks on all sides. And so our brothers and sisters in Christ in Iraq and in Iran and anywhere where you even have the expatriate populations are asking us to pray for them because they're expecting a season of pressure and a season of pain. Um, And they're also asking that we pray that their faith remains bold.
0: I'm talking with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. Um, There's a couple of articles posted at MNNOnline.org that you're going to want to check out. Iraq uh, attacks put Christians in the crosshairs. There's also an excellent piece here about um, our Orthodox brothers and sisters who are celebrating Christmas Hey, Ruth, let you and I take a break and then let's pivot to um, another part of the world and let's look at what's going on in Japan. I'm talking with Ruth Kramer. You, again, you can read what we're talking about at MNN, that's Mission Network News Online.org. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News, Ruth, I, I found this article posted at MNNOnline.org, I find this article about Japan really fascinating. Um, tell us what you're hearing from your partners there in terms of um, what is happening in Japan and why this might be a really good year for uh, the the expansion of the gospel there.
2: Well, there's a lot of exciting news coming out of Japan, and I'm glad that we're talking about something um, on the other side of all of the difficulties that are facing the body of Christ, because this is something that uh, is is very encouraging. Um, So you know that uh, if you look at the sociology of Japan, uh, what you're hearing right now is that depression is um, increasing, that uh, a lot of issues are causing the people to be very unhappy. Economy's been dropping um, people aren't getting married, nobody's having kids, so the aging of society is hitting them, things have been, have been changing for the country as a whole. So the emperor, Naruhito, tried to set a tone uh, for Japan this year that was a little bit more optimistic. He was hoping for a disaster-free year, he wished them well. That's all the the surfacing type of stuff. From Asian access, what we're hearing is Um, that the pastors, the church leadership that they come alongside uh, to help train and network um, is wildly optimistic and enthusiastic about what God is going to do in Japan. Now, keeping in mind that maybe before 2011, uh, Japan was referenced as the graveyard of missionaries because people were so close to the gospel, they just weren't interested and churches were not being planted. There was maybe 1% of the population that was Christian. Um, and then you had the triple disaster hit of 2011. So you've got a uh, nuclear fallout, you've got a nuclear disaster, you've got the tsunami, you've got the earthquake. And Japan was literally shaken to its core. Um, and uh, believers came together and they started forming just small groups of um I guess hands and feet teams to go out and meet some needs, sit and listen to stories, help people to recover, help to rebuild the country. And as a result, the Japanese people were very interested in this thing that made Christians so different. So the gospel started, uh, um, the gospel seeds that had been planted years before started to take root. And then you started seeing people become very interested in. Uh, who these other Christians were. So small churches that were planted started um, seeing other growth, and then those churches planted churches. And so you started seeing this kind of um, evangelism explosion taking place in Japan since 2011. So since that time, there have been 8,000 churches that have been planted. And because of all of this stuff that has been going on and what you're hearing about people's openness to the hope of Christ, where they say these are the, the, the people of the book, or this is is the little Christ that's coming to me, um, there's an opportunity here that has not been present before. Now, the World Rugby Cup was just held uh, a couple months ago in Japan the summer olympics are going to be held uh this summer in tokyo as well as the paralympics so thinking about those major sporting events and what kind of opportunities you, it's bringing the world to japan and the japanese church the, the japanese body of christ is really gearing up to try to to be ready for um what this is going to mean um with so many opportunities they're 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 excited about uh being ready to scatter the seed, plant a harvest, and see what comes of that. And and they're asking God for some pretty big miracles. Um, The Japanese body of Christ uh, that's spearheaded by Asian access at this point is, I'm going to say this is is a huge dream. It seems like it's impossible. They are looking to plant 50,000 churches starting this year. Now, they're taking it from 8,000 churches, and they want to plant 50,000, and they think that the thing that's going to really get this going is all of these events like the, um, the Olympics and the Paralympic Games and the Rugby, uh, situ- the, the rugby World Cup because um, of the opportunities – uh, you know, like they're holding sport festivals. They're doing all of the things uh, in 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 different venues to encourage people to come and interact with them, so they have that opportunity to share the hope of Christ. Um, the optimism there—it just—it's—it's it, enth I want to say, um, <laughs> I wanted to say, it's contagious. Mm. Because as I was writing this story, I just kept thinking, "Wow, really? Wow, really?" And the the country director of Asian Access, I ran into him at um, finishing the task a couple years ago, Um, and all by himself, he got up and he adopted the remaining, I think, six unreached people groups within Japan.
1: Mm. So he's
2: committing to reaching a completely unreached people group with the gospel in the next two years on top of this huge vision to basically explode the body of Christ in Japan. Um, They're going to need a lot of prayer.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Ruth, it, it reminds me of a conversation I had over the weekend. I mean, I had a friend who, because I have been talking about revival, I actually believe that revival is upon us, Not just, uh, not just here in the United States, but globally. And actually, I think we see more evidence of it globally than sometimes we do here in the United States. But I believe it's upon us. I believe we are on the threshold of of a really dramatic revival. And that means there's going to be 50,000 churches planted in Japan. And it means that unreached people groups are going to be reached. And it means that we're going to, um, you know, we're going to make tangible progress um, in the Great Commission that every person in every place of every tongue would have the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. Um, and, And my friend said, what would that look like? And and the question really was, um, when he asked it, the question was really, what would it look like for Christians who we know and we ourselves to be living and speaking and working in such a way and witnessing in such a way that that would come about? Like, we are going to have to be the people who are the living demonstration of that gospel if other people are going to then be exposed to it in a way that makes them say, huh, maybe I should check that out, you know? So. Um, So, yeah, so I just, I'm thrilled. Um, I look forward to talking with you uh, over the course of the coming year about the good news stories like this one out of Japan, certainly following um, what these ministries are doing in relationship to the 2020 Olympics and Paralympics, um, but also the ways in which you help us see into those very hard places where we can prayerfully support our brothers and sisters in Christ in those places of uh, pressure and pain and persecution that you discussed earlier. So, Thank you so very much um, for just the continued way in which you bring these stories to us. Well, thanks for—and
2: I want to say thank you to the listening audience because they do respond. We do hear from them. And thank you for your prayer because the body of Christ does feel it. And that's one thing that we continuously hear from the the, the persecuted church is thank you for praying. Mm,
0: amen. Ruth Kramer from Mission Network News. You guys can read about everything we talked about today at MNN. That's MissionNetworkNewsOnline.org. We'll be right back. When you think about uh, the revival that we're praying for and that God will surely send, um, are, do you have, like, specific places or people groups or even individuals in mind that you're just intensely praying for? Like, God has, like, set this individual or this community or this city— or a country in your heart, um, let me know. Share with me. Um, I, I certainly have individuals for whose uh, you know about whose eternal status I am deeply concerned, and so you know I'm I'm hoping that God will set those divine appointments this year for me to have an opportunity not only to intersect with that person, um, but to you know somehow till the soil of that conversation in such a way that I can invite them. I could just literally invite them into a relationship with Jesus. Like, that's what God wants. He's on this rescue mission. Um, and so you and I are on the front lines of that rescue mission as ambassadors of the king and the kingdom. Tell me, um, you know, just just give me a little insight. Hey, yeah, I've got people that I'm praying for um, and and people, groups, and places. You can always communicate with me via the text line 877-933-2484 or email me carmen at myfaithradio.com. Dot com. We'll be back with another hour of Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.